Good morning. We're glad you're here and glad that you're here. I say that to those that are online. You aren't a viewer. A viewer is someone who stands on the side and watches, but you are very much part of us as a community, as a church. Only a fraction are able and comfortable to gather in person, and we, we love to see the half of the faces that are able to, but we miss those that at this time are not with us. And I want to tell you that you aren't a viewer or a spectator, but you're very much part of us. And we miss you and we love you and you're with us as best as we can at this time. This has been an unusual week. Let's just, let's just name the elephant in the room, shall we? Somebody said to me, Adam, you moved to the US at a very interesting time in recent history. Uh, two years in and it's been a really quirky two years. I want to recognize it and I want to pray before we get to the message. This week, it's very easy to observe and talk about the other person, that person, that leader, that crowd, that place, that state, that location. So often we find ourselves talking about they, but actually it begins with us. So I can't and I won't talk about Everything, everywhere else that needs to be changed, I will instead address us, me and you, in the room and online. How do we respond? What do we say? What do we do? I want it to be personal rather than always somebody else, somewhere else that should have done something else. As a church, we are a diverse group. Diversity can cause frictions. People see things differently, interpret things differently, and dare I say, vote differently. I'm okay with that. It's a bit messy, and at times it can be a little bit bumpy. There can be some clashes and difference of opinions, but actually I think diversity is a strength. And I believe that diversity doesn't have to mean division. I believe that. It would be much easier if everyone did look the same, think the same, act the same, and vote the same. That isn't the case, and I'm okay with that, and I want to say that now. And I'm grateful for the voices and the opinions that at times seem to be really quite different. That's okay. God made us sometimes to be different, and diversity doesn't have to mean disunity. I want to make that statement. In a minute, I'm going to pray, but I want to make a couple of other statements and observations. Uh, words and listening. Firstly, words. It's very easy to say something, be it verbally or on social media. It's very easy to say anything and to put our words out there. On the subject of words, I read something this week that, in my opinion, so accurately summed up the world that we live in in the context of social media. And the idea or the, the thought sounded something like this. We know enough to believe we are right. We don't know enough to know when we are wrong. But yet regardless, the words just come out. We press post, we press tweet, or we say it. May I encourage you to... to not take your words so seriously that you believe that you are always right, because you probably aren't. I'm not. 
We know enough to believe we are right. We don't know enough sometimes to know when we are wrong. And then perhaps even more important than, than words is listening. May I encourage you to listen. In the context of a diverse community, of a diverse nation, may I encourage you to listen. If you are having a conversation with someone in person or online, and online it's even easier to fall into this trap. Sometimes instead of listening, we make assumptions based on what we have read, our interpretations of their words, and those assumptions lead to us labeling people, criticizing people, and speaking ill of people, often in their absence. Don't do that. If you've got a conversation to have with someone, contact them and ask for the conversation and listen to them. Don't just go in with preconceived outcomes and responses to what you're guessing they're about to say next, but listen. There is wisdom in listening. God made it in such a way that no one person knows it all or has all the answers. We need each other. So be mindful of your words in person and online. Don't take them too seriously. You may be wrong. And listen. And listen with the wisdom that honors the other person, even if you disagree with what they may be saying. We need each other. It's often been said so many times that people don't give up on God because they no longer believe in God, but often they don't like the church. So many people don't like the idea of faith because they can't stand people like you and me and what we represent and what we have represented over the years. That's such a tragedy that the very people who are called, anointed, and filled to represent Jesus so often miss the mark so much that we put people off the idea of knowing him. I love the way Amanda prayed. I love the sincerity at the beginning that we must represent Jesus. And if we don't, because of what they see in person or on social media, we miss the mark. Goodness, I want to pray for unity and peace Partly because I want us all to get along and play nice, but more importantly because I want the light of Jesus to be seen for those outside. So let's stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to shift gears. Lord, we own our shortfalls. We recognize the times when we have said words and we wish we could swallow them back or unpost that post or whatever it is. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we're so informed with phones that tell us everything, and sometimes we fail to recognize the bias of the source that's given us the information. Lord, give us wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent. Father, forgive us for the times when our confidence has been in a person or a party or an ideology. Lord, we repent for the idolatry of those moments. Lord, teach us your ways. And for us, because it begins with us, it's too easy to talk about someone else. Lord, teach us what peace and unity looks like. Peace that is centered around you with the crucial importance being that people would see you in us in every way at every moment and in every expression Lord we pray for unity for this church and we pray for unity for this nation 
And as we pray a big prayer, we recognize that like all big things, it starts individually. So Lord, may the words of our mouth, spoken and posted, and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Take a seat. And now for quite a gear change. Last week we introduced this, this series that we're looking at for the month of January, looking at this New Testament letter written by the disciple of Jesus known as John, the one who Jesus loved. This person who was intimate in his adoration towards Jesus, but was one of the sons of thunder. So he had a voice and he spoke out and he, was, he put it all in the same person intimate in his love for Jesus and passionate in his proclamation and wasn't going to take any rubbish. And he wrote a letter in his later life to followers, to churches, to regions, to communities, to people like you and me. And it's loving and it's encouraging, but it's quite direct at times. And we sum the series up as a letter from a friend. And this is part two, First uh, John 2. And we're going to look at it together. And I'm going to introduce this message slightly differently. Normally when I'm looking at a message, I'm thinking there's one point, there's one main point. This is the thing that you need to know. This is the thing that you need to remember. And it's this. Often I do that because most of us don't remember. I've heard hundreds of sermons. I can remember very few of them. Uh, but this is quite an interesting passage. This is quite different. So I'm going to come at it from a completely different angle to how I would normally offer a message of teaching. And I'll explain it like this. Last weekend, we ordered some Chinese food. We haven't ordered Chinese food for some time. And we weren't convinced entirely, what dishes do we go for? Do we like this one or do we like this one? And some places cook this dish well, but some, this one, doesn't taste like it did. And there's four of us, and we've got different taste buds. And the older I've got, the more hot sauce and spicier, the better. My children or at the other end of the scale, Sarah's somewhere in the middle. So came up with the idea that we will order a number of small dishes with the hope that you may like them all, that's all good, but there may be one or two. It's like, that one was for me. If you've ever been to a place where you've had some Mediterranean food, tapas is similar to that. It's not one plate with one meal, and we've all got this thing, but it will be six different dishes, and they all come together and largely make up a meal. And some people in the group like these ones, and some like these ones. As I was preparing and reading this passage, I noticed that there is an overarching theme, and the theme is how to live and how to flourish. But there are different dishes with different flavors. And I felt God say, serve them all and introduce them like that. And there's going to be one person and they're going to say, this is for me, this dish, this moment, this section. That's just what I need to hear and I need to do something about it. And someone else is going to say, this dish, this section, this passage, this idea, that's for me. And I need to do something about it. So it might be like there's five or six small dishes that make up one meal. And there may be some people that say, actually, four of those dishes, they're all speaking to me. 
and I need to do this and this and I need to change this. So I'm going to serve this differently with some little pauses between and say this dish is for these people and you might need to do this. Does that make sense? The first is the reading itself. Before I expand or bring commentary or ideas or analogy or illustration or stories, before I do that, I want to start with the text itself. Sometimes the text is all we need and everything else is just an extra anyway. So I'm going to start with the text itself. I'm going to read the text uh, from beginning to end. It's what a large text is the only time I'm going to read the text all the way through. As I read it, I believe that it's going to begin that some of you are going to go, oh, that's for me. That's the bit. That's the bit. So may I encourage you to listen with attentive ears today. First John 2. And I prepared this, began two weeks ago, finalized my notes on Monday before the week that was largely unfolded. And I'm now rereading it this morning thinking, oh my goodness, that's really profoundly timed. 1 John 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, but the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them that, to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things... And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. There's a lot going on. It's quite a big passage. There is a lot going on. I'm going to go through different sections like small dishes and offer them to you. May I encourage you that for some of you, some of these are for you. It may be one, it may be many. I want you to receive that. You may go, oh yeah, that's the one. I love the way John writes, dear children. It indicates that his later life, but it also indicates this isn't written because I want to tell you off. It's written because I love you. I want the best for you. Sometimes you'll hear a parent say things like, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. And it's like John is writing from later life, looking back, saying, some of it I got right, and that I want to tell you to do. Some I didn't. I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. So, so lean in and listen, that's what he's saying. Begins with the comment about sin. I don't want you to sin. I read this this week. A mother wrote in the cover of her Bible to her son. It was the Bible that was given to her son as he left home. And in the cover of her Bible, she wrote, Sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. It was written over a hundred years ago that mother's name was Susanna Wesley. 
her son was John. It's simple, it's brief, and it's entirely true. Sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. I love that. For some, there are some sins that you feel stuck with that you keep repeating, and you know it. And even the idea of what I've just said instantly triggers you. And you may be in the room, you may be online. I want to say to you that Jesus has overcome all sin. There is no sin that he can't beat or that he can't forgive. And it doesn't matter what your story is, what your past is. Jesus accepts you, loves you, and welcomes you. So this first dish that I'm serving is this, if sin is a struggle for you and there's a pattern or a repeated tendency, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, welcomes you, and wants to cleanse you. That's the first dish. Second one, we read in verse 2, it says this, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Like I said a few moments ago when we talk about the bigger picture, it starts with us. Yes, it's the sins of the whole world, but it starts with us. It's very personal. The atoning sacrifice. Sin has consequences. Life has consequences. Our words and our actions have consequences. We know that. We can't pretend that they don't. We cannot deny the consequences that happens after our actions and words and say, with nothing to do with me, because Everything that we say and do has consequences, and sin has consequences. But Jesus steps in and takes the consequences of our sins, of our actions. For the people that have studied this in more detail, a terminology that they sometimes use is substitutionary atonement. What that means is Jesus is subsidizing himself in your place for your actions. That's profound. That's paying somebody else's bill. That's taking somebody else's place. That's saying, I want the consequences of their actions to be outworked by me. That's a big deal. Let me illustrate this with a true story. In England, on the side of the road, quite often we have speed cameras And they look like this. Here's a photo of of one I'm going to put on the screen and show you. Now, when they were first appeared, they were gray. And and then someone came up with a really clever idea that we should actually inform motorists that there's a speed camera here. So now there's this yellow bit. Many motorists are very grateful for the yellow part of the back. The way this camera works is there's a line on the road. If it's a 30-mile-an-hour speed limit, if you drive over the speed limit over a certain number, it takes a photo of you. And then you get a letter in the post. And the letter looks something like this, the next picture. You probably can't see it, but the heading in bold, in caps lock, which sounds like it's being shouted, says, Notice of Intended Prosecution. It's a frightening letter to receive. Notice of intended prosecution. You can take it down. A few years ago, we received this very official-looking letter. And 
I looked at it and I thought, wait a minute, what is this? I'm not used to these. And I opened it and there was the heading, Notice of Intended Prosecution. And it then proceeded, on this date at this time, your car was traveling on this road into the city of Southampton and you exceeded the speed limit by this number. And there's a photo of the back of the car with the number plate identifying your car this date at this time. There's no doubt here. It's true. You're guilty with this heading notice of intended prosecution. And instantly, oh, it felt bad. It felt really bad. Uh, the way it works is you can pay a fine and you have some points that go on your license. The points are not good. Points do not make prizes. Points mean that when you come to insurance renewals, it's going to cost way more money. And it says, this is what you've done. This is the consequences of your actions because there's always consequences for our actions. Alternatively, instead of paying the fine and receiving the points, because this is your first offense, you can attend a driver awareness course instead. With a driver awareness course, you can't not make it, you can't leave early, you have to arrive at this date at this time. And it's a good idea because you avoid the fine and you avoid the insurance for the peak. So I said, okay, I'll do the driver awareness course. And I did this driver awareness course. It took the whole day, and it begins with this utter shame where you see all these statistics of children that are killed in accidents because someone was going this fast in this district, and then they show you videos, and it's horrible. Uh, but it has the right effect, and it slows you down, and you learn the rules of the road again, and you leave, and you don't pay the fine, you don't have the points in your license. So I undertook the driver awareness course because of the uh, offense. Sometime later, I was in a planning meeting in church, and uh, for many years I've used an online calendar, and the online calendar is helpful because it talks to the phone and people can see my calendar, and also if we need to look at an event before or in the past, we can go back and we've got this record of, of, of everything that's happened. We were talking about an event. Uh, that we were planning in the future. And we said, well, when did we do it last time? When was the last time we had this event? I said, I think it was a couple of months ago. So we looked back in our calendar to see when was the last time. And I looked back in my calendar, I saw this date. And the date kind of rang a bell with me because that was the day when I drove too fast down that road and had this frightening letter, in notice of intended prosecution. I looked at the date. And then... I saw something on my calendar that I hadn't noticed before. We're a one-car family. And on that day, I rode my bicycle to work. Because Sarah needed the car. Because she needed to go somewhere and pick something up or see someone. So on that day, I rode my bike. And it said in the calendar, ride bike today, Sarah needs the car. And then I realized... I had taken the place for somebody else's sin <laughs> and had the horrible course and experience and condemnation of you must not do this. That's a true story. It's a tiny analogy that gets so much more multiplied when we consider that Jesus paid the ultimate price for all of our actions, all of our wrongdoing. He, he did it all. Absolutely did it all. 
Jesus paid the ultimate price. And when you consider the separation between Jesus and the Father, which happened at the cross, the ultimate pain, which is more than the wounds that were inflicted upon him, but the pain of the separation between the Son and the Father, it's hard to get our heads around that he did it so freely for you and for me and for the whole world. It is a remarkable, remarkable mystery. The Gospel of Matthew and Mark records Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment of utter separation, Jesus felt the pain and the price of separation. And he did it for you and me. The loss, the separation, Jesus paid the ultimate price. I want to make a comment when we consider the ultimate price. Jesus knew the Father in a way that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet in that moment, there was this separation because God could not look on the sin. But at the same time, I want to make this comment. How do we understand? Where was God in that? The Apostle Paul described it the mystery beautifully. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In that moment, in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself for you and for me. German theologian John Jürgen Moltmann described the cross of Good Friday as this. God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with him. I love that. God weeps with us so that one day we may laugh with him. So this dish, this serving, my challenge is this. For some, the cross is lost lost the power that it once had. You've heard this story. You know about substitutionary atonement. You know these phrases. You know the experience. For some, the cross has kind of lost the power that it once had. I want to encourage you to return to the cross. I want to encourage you to return to that moment, that moment that changes everything. For some of you, I want to encourage you in your quiet space when no one's around to break bread and to have juice or wine that represents the gift that is the cross. I want to encourage some of you to return to the cross because for some of you, the cross is lost. It's power, it's mystery. It's, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's more than that. Return. If that's for you, act on that. Moving on. In the next section of this passage, we read this, we know. John uses the phrase, we know him, and if you know him, and if you are known by him. He uses the word know 42 times in this short letter. Because for John, knowing Jesus is more important than knowing about Jesus. You need to know him more than you need to know about him. Jesus is less interested in our knowledge 
of him than he is in the relationship that we walk with him. Know him. If you know him, you can know him. We can know him. For some, this dish would be you don't know his voice. Or you used to know his voice, but it's faded, it's distant. Like an old radio that's kind of crackly. You don't know his voice. Jesus said, my, my sheep know me and they know my voice. He is the good shepherd. For some, I want to encourage you and I want to pray for you today that you would know his voice. Because it is his desire that you don't just know about him, but that you know his voice. And for some of you, that's the dish. That's the section of scripture that you need to chew on and pray on and say, God, I want to know your voice again. Moving on. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. This week, it's been very easy to speak ill of other people. And then we read this passage that says, if you do that, you're in darkness. You're blinded from the light. Some people are hard to love. Some people are very hard to love. Tension is easy. And you find yourself boiling inside with hatred towards some people or some comments. That's easy. Love is hard. But God is love. And as this passage says, if you're in the light, you look and sound like Jesus. If you don't, you're in the darkness. My country of origin suffered the consequences of the Second World War in a way that it completely re-landscaped cities. We own a home in the port city of Southampton and the houses in that road don't match each other because of how many of them were rebuilt at different times. The docks area was especially rearranged by the frequency of bombs and attacks. London, even more so. A few years ago, I was a youth pastor in a, in a church that was kind of retirement town. There were lots of people that were elderly. And we, we met this, this lovely person who, who moved across. This was in the time of more freedom of movement, pre-Brexit. And she was a carer working in a care home. And she came from Germany. And she was caring in a care home for elderly people. And I remember in conversation recognizing this German lady caring for the generation that lived through so much. But yet there was a lovely sense of peace and love and care where the elderly folk who were suffering didn't hate her and that she seemingly loved them and served them generously. And I remember thinking, what a beautiful picture of healing and hope if that's possible. I remember speaking to someone who was older, who lived through the war, and I said, how, how do you not hate people from Germany? How, how do you not hate them? What did you do to deal with it? What was the process of reconciliation that, that you as a generation went through that largely we don't hear marches of hatred, even though you very much retell the stories and we must not forget the sacrifice that was paid? How have you got to that place of reconciliation that you don't hate them and the answer which stuck with me from this 
old person who lived through and saw so much loss. She said this, when we lived through a time of so much hatred, and then it ended, at no point did we ever want the hatred to continue. Because when you've seen hatred to that level, you don't want it to continue. So when we read that the light is offered to those who don't hate, and for those that do, they're in darkness, there's a challenge here. That for some of you, and this is the, the dish that I'm offering, for some of you, hatred is a problem and anger boils quickly. Like a kettle that boils very quickly. You get there far too fast. And we all get annoyed and irritated. And life does that. But for some of you, you know that you get there too quickly, too far, too fast. Hatred's a problem. It's not the way of God. He wants to change that in you. He wants to deal with that. Toward the end of the passage, I love John's writing where he starts saying, I write to you children, I write to you parents, I write to you young adults, I write to you older people. Do you hear the inclusive language that all ages, all generations, all people are included? This letter that was written to many places, many groups, different ethnicities are all included. Your wisdom and voices are all important and required. When I was, pre- when I was reading this, I felt the sense of the prompt of the Holy Spirit that this is going to get quite personal. So for some, he says, you can know the Father. I believe that there's someone watching And you know the idea of God, but you don't know the Father. And I want to say to you today, you can know the Father. Jesus is the way to the Father. And you, like this passage, can know the Father. The passage says, you have known him from the beginning. I'm looking around. Where's Bruce? He's outside. He's standing outside. He's green. I believe that this is for Bruce. I'm going to honor Bruce by speaking to Charlene. You have known him from the beginning. I want to commend the longevity and faithfulness of Bruce and others who have known him from the beginning and have lived through so many twists and turns in life and in wider society. You've known him from the beginning. You are strong. Kim, I don't know you very well, but I believe that you are stronger than you think. And I will be commend you for that. You have overcome the evil one. I believe there's someone online and you've wrestled with some things and you're winning. And I want to say we cheer you on because you have overcome and you are overcoming. For some, you have felt forgotten. This is the dish that is this section. For some you felt forgotten. I want to remind you that this passage 
you are not forgotten. You are not the person that isn't picked for the team or that no one notices or they hear this voice and they don't hear yours. You are not forgotten. God loves you, God chooses you, and you are included. And for some, that's the dish that you need to hear. Lastly, the warning. There is this harsh warning, and we read this, and we're like, wow, where does that come from? Verse 18, warning, the last hour, Jesus will come again. Antichrists, this is big. The idea of Jesus returning should give us hope and excitement. My goodness, does the world need more of Jesus, not less. But the warning here is more about antichrists, people who don't represent Jesus. What does it look like? The Bible explains antichrist as a man or men or women of lawlessness. Antichrists are persons who oppose Christ and exalt themselves instead. I studied this in a Bible dictionary. What what does it mean? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And it's antichrist with an S on the end. There are many. We're not just looking for one person with horns and numbers on their forehead. But it's a spirit of antichrist and we see it in society. The Bible dictionary explained the antichrist is this. They are liars. They're deceivers, they're boastful, they talk of my might, my power, my authority, and they invite people to follow them. Be careful of such people. Jesus talked about the kingdom, and in the kingdom there's only one king, and it's Jesus. If there's anyone that tries to exalt themselves in that way of dominance, that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's not the spirit of Jesus. This passage begins with the be ready. This is the challenge for this dish. For some, you're not ready. And if Jesus returned at this moment, there's some business that you've not taken care of and you know you need to take care of it before he comes. I want you today, when I end in a moment, to pray. I want to encourage you to take care of the business that you know that you need to take care of before Jesus returns. Because we don't know the time, we don't know the moment, but it's going to happen. And when it happens, let's be ready. And then I'm going to end with this. So far, I've broken this passage down into different dishes for different people. But there's this one dish at the end that brings it all back together. And it says this, For you all have an anointing from the Holy One. For all who know Him, you all have an anointing. An anointing means to be blessed, to be set apart, to be filled. If you have come to Jesus and invited Him in, He comes in and He deposits His Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, you are changed and saved and anointed. You all have an anointing. The Bible describes us as sons and daughters, heirs with Jesus. It's very good. So what do we do? How do I bring all this together? It's quite a lot. You're all important. You're all anointed. I want to encourage you to allow the anointing to change you. In this message, there's been some prompts, some challenges, and some application that some of you need to act on, repent on, and change on. The anointing that God is in you is meant to change you, not just be an addition 
that you give some attention to on a Sunday morning and live the rest of your week differently. Allow the anointing to change you. Allow the prompt to adjust you, the way you live, the way you speak, the way you act. And then allow that anointing to lead you to better represent Jesus, to better represent the loving Father. That's the anointing that he gives us. And it's for all of us. It's for all ages. Let's stand. I want to pray. And I want to give some time for some response. I am aware that that was a large meal. I am aware that for some of you, there was just, you know, just one dish. That's good. That's fine. For others, yeah, you've, you've got plenty to chew on. The word of God speaks to us not to entertain us, but to change us. So let's make space for a moment. I'm not going to rush this moment. In fact, I'm not going to say anything for a minute. We're just going to pause. If you know, if there was a challenge, if there was a section, if there was a, a dish that was for you, that I said, I want you personally and privately to do some business with God in this moment. To pray to the God that listens, that smiles. And if you're in your front room or wherever you are, in your car, in this country, in another country, but there's something that's been said, it's the same God, it's the same Jesus. Deal with your junk and allow him to take it away. Let's pause, let's pray, let's do business with God for a moment. for this passage which really is a letter from a friend and it stirs pokes and provokes stuff in us that Lord we we want to say Father if you're provoking that I want to let you if you're nudging at something because I need to do something about it Lord I invite you into that area Jesus, you don't know his voice, you don't know the Father, then in this moment, and you may have prayed this many times, you may have never prayed this, pray, Jesus, I've messed up. By the power of your cross, forgive me and fill me. And we pray this not because we want to tick a box, but because we want to know you.
people, the people that know a lot about you but don't know you. Lord, help us to know you. And then for all of us, the young, the old, the young adults, the middle adults, wherever that is, and I'm probably there. And then for the older people who continue to be an inspiration to us. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing on your church. Your church is your body. It's all of us and there's no one excluded. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing on us that we would know you intimately and that proclaim you and show you often. Lord, anoint us and the people online, anoint them. May they know your anointing that they aren't just someone that believes, but they're someone that knows you, carries you, and shows you in their day-to-day. Lord, anoint us to know you, and anoint us to show you, I pray. Because ultimately, only you are the light of the world. And we know that that's the answer to the world's problems. So, Father, anoint us, fill us, and send us, I pray. Amen. We're going to worship. If you need to continue to pray, then do that during this song. If you're watching or you're in the room and you would like to talk with someone, to pray with someone, we have a prayer team. We don't operate in the way we we used to, but we can still pray with you, talk with you, Zoom with you in the week. Talk to us. Message us. Talk to me. We're going to worship now for a moment. And I want to leave this space for you to worship God, to come to him and to pray as you need to.